This morning we come to the end of our study in Second Peter. We'll be looking at the last verses, verses 14 through 18 of Second Peter chapter 3. And from the beginning of this letter to the end of this letter, we could sum up Peter's message to his original readers and to us today as simply grow. Keep on growing as followers of Jesus Christ. If there would be a key verse to this letter, it would be found in verse 18 that we are going to look at today when Peter writes, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if we were going to ask ourselves a pertinent question that applies directly to the passage that we are going to look at today, it would be simply this. Am I growing? Am I growing? Am I growing more like Jesus? Can today people see Christ lived out in and through me more today than they could a year ago? Am I growing? I'm going to read these verses. You can follow along in your copy of the text. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting the read in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you also in all his letters, speaking in in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures, to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grow. This week, my three little granddaughters came to see me at my office. The first time that all three have come together, little Eloise and little Madeline and little Emmeline came to see Grandpa. And it was a good day. The oldest one, Eloise, is about two and a half, and the other two turn one next month. And as they came in, Eloise had a big grin on her face, and her mommy said, well, tell Grandpa, what you brought? And she said, I brought you a present. It's something to eat. (laughs) And it was all Eloise's idea. She thought that Grandpa should have some chocolate pudding. So she brought me some chocolate pudding. She picked it out. I opened it up. And she said, this is for us. Let's eat it now. A girl after her grandpa's own heart. Oh, do I enjoy those little girls. You know, my sons and daughter-in-laws take them to the pediatrician regularly. And one of the common questions we always ask is, well, how do they come out on the growth charts this time? You know, those charts where they measure 
the height compared to other little girls their same age height and their weight compared to other little girls their same age weight. I think my little, uh, my middle son is a little bit fearful that little Emmeline is going to be about 6'5", because she's about 120% on the height chart. But it's, it's, it's a very standard way of measuring growth. It, it's, it's, it's easy to measure. They can compare it to the other children of the same age. Spiritual growth seems to us a little bit more difficult to figure out. How do I know if I'm growing spiritually? It's not like there's a growth chart. And one thing we know for sure, we do not measure spiritual growth by comparing ourselves to someone else. Because if that's how we measure spiritual growth, we can always find someone who has not grown as much like Jesus as we have and make ourselves feel pretty good. No, we don't, we don't measure spiritual growth by comparing, by a comparison chart, looking at a brother or sister in Christ. We measure spiritual growth by looking at Jesus Christ. And the truth that Peter is going to drive home today is that we measure spiritual growth by how much we look like Jesus. We measure spiritual growth by moral purity. We measure spiritual growth by how much those around us see Christ in and through us. And Peter is not only going to tell us today, in these last verses of his letter, the goal, but he's going to tell us how to get there. It's important also for us to remember that these are the last words that Peter wrote, that his death is imminent. He knows his death is imminent, and it's always good to give an ear to someone's last words. And so Peter, in summing up this letter, this last letter, that he's writing right before he dies, tells his original readers and us, grow. Grow. Keep pressing on. Keep making choices in your life so that when Jesus comes back and your life is open, laid bare before him, that your life will be marked by Christ-likeness and not stained by this world in which we live. So Peter challenges us to grow. In fact, he's going to tell us to make every effort to grow, to live morally pure lives. Why? Because we are waiting for Jesus to come back. And that connection between the Lord's return and our desire to live for Him, once again, is going to be made clear in these verses. That because Jesus is coming back, I should have a deep desire to be striving toward Christ-likeness, toward moral purity, toward holiness in my everyday life. 
fact, as we begin looking at these verses, Peter begins right in verse 14 by saying, Therefore, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent. Now, remember, when he, when a author of scripture uses the word therefore, he's connecting it to what he said right before it. And verses 12 and 13, if you remember to last week, Peter shares with us about this coming day of God, this day of the Lord. And Peter looks at the end times with a very broad brushstroke. He's not breaking it down as we can look at all of Scripture and see that that we are expecting Jesus to come and according to 1 Thessalonians 4, catch us up, those who are followers of Jesus Christ in the air where our bodies, if we've died already, will be rejoined with our spirits and those of us who are alive will be caught up in the air with Jesus and then there will be a seven year period of tribulation on earth and Jesus and his church will come back at the end of that time. Satan will be cast into hell for a thousand years. Jesus will reign on David's throne for a thousand year period of time of peace here on earth. At the end of that thousand years, Satan will be released. He'll have one last battle stand against the Lord. The Lord will be the victor. Satan will be cast into hell. All those who have stood in rejection of God will be cast into hell. And then, according to Peter, this earth upon which we walk today, that we so value, that the the things that we're so proud of, that we have built, those things that we think will be a lasting memory to us, will all be ash. And then the Lord will create a new heavens and earth. And the heavenly Jerusalem, according to the book of Revelation, will come down and rest on earth and we will be with the Lord forever. Peter here says, therefore, since all of this is going to happen, verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, since that's true, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Now, we don't see it in our English translations, but there's something really neat about these verses. In verse 10, Peter had said, when the day of the Lord comes, that the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. And so that word can carry the idea of be seen for what it really is, uh, be laid bare, all of those things on earth that We are so proud of those things that we have erected that are a monument to our name. Those things that we have worked so hard for our our house, our all those things. It's just going to be ash. And some of the translations actually say they will be laid bare. That's the same word now that Peter uses here in verse 14 when he says, be diligent to be found by him, to be laid bare. You see, what Peter's doing is tying verse 10 to verse 14. 
And he's saying this, just as the Lord is going to come, and all of this that we so prize and value is going to, going to be ash. This is going to be laid bare for what it really is, which is nothing. So also, when he comes back, your life and my life is going to be laid bare. It'll be seen for what it really is. And Peter says, let's be motivated by that. As we wait for Jesus to come back, knowing that just as this earth will be laid bare, my life will be laid bare, how much should that motivate us on to be found in Him in peace, spotless, and blameless? We're going to talk about what it means to be at peace with God in just a few moments. But it's interesting that Peter here says that we should drive, we should have a deep heart's desire to be found spotless and blameless. He's used that phrase before. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, he uses it in reference to Jesus. In verse 18 of 1 Peter 1, it says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood. As of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So here Peter saying, when Jesus comes back and our lives are laid bare, we want to look like him. We want to be like him. Just as he is unblemished and spotless, so also our heart's desire should be spotless and blameless before him. Peter's already told us what the opposite of that is. You remember he pointed out in chapter 2, verse 13, those mockers, those false teachers. What did he call their lives? He called them stains and blemishes. How would you like to have that be said about you when Jesus comes back? Well, that person, he, he's a stain and a blemish. No, Peter says, let's strive to be found spotless, blameless. Requires choices on our part. We're going to talk about the fact that in order to live out the Christian life, we are totally dependent on God's enabling us to do it. Peter's already told us that he's equipped us with everything we need to live out the Christian life in the moment we put our faith in Christ. But there's also a human dimension here. A choice that, that we need to make time and time again to live for him. To walk in holiness. To strive for moral purity. Now Peter goes on here in these verses and and reminds us, and by the way, don't be discouraged that Jesus has not come back yet. He says in verse 15, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. He said in verse 9 of chapter 3, the Lord's not slow about us. Promise is some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The reason Jesus has not yet come back is because he's waiting for more men and women and boys and girls to finally stop walking away from him and to turn to the person of Jesus Christ and place their faith in him, believing that he is God, that he came to earth and was born of a virgin so that he'd be able to die. 
And he lived a sinless life on earth and is 100% God, is 100% man, went to a cross and died, taking all the penalty for your sin and my sin upon himself, and then rose again from the dead, proving that he's God. And here, Peter says, don't be discouraged that he hasn't come back yet. He just wants more people to have opportunity to put their trust in, in Jesus. The Father's heart is one where he wants everybody to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And we talked last week about how that's not going to happen because men have wicked hearts and choose to reject Jesus Christ. But the Father's heart is that everyone would trust Jesus. So Peter says, don't be discouraged. And he also goes on to say that our beloved brother Paul according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you as also in all his letters, speaking in, in them of these things. You see, Peter says, look at Paul. He also has told you the same thing about the heart of God. That we have a heavenly Father who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And Peter goes on to explain that there's unconscionable men. These scoffers, these false teachers who have taken what Paul said and they twist it and they take it out of context. They may take something that we find a little bit obscure and they try to build a whole teaching about it just to pull people away from Jesus. But Peter says, stand firm. Stand firm. You see, they do that with all the scriptures. Isn't it interesting that Peter says, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Peter is using Paul's writing and saying that Paul's writing is equal with the rest of the scriptures. And that Greek term translated scriptures is used about 50 times in the New Testament, referring to the Old Testament corpus of scripture. You see, Peter understands Paul's writing to be God's word. I was sitting in a duck blind this past Monday. Seven guys. Not very many of them know Jesus. And the guy at the end of the blind looks at me and says, So do you really think the Bible is true? And then the guy two, door, two holes down in the duck blind looks at him and says, well, what's really important is what do you think about Jesus? I let them talk back and forth a little bit. It was pretty interesting. Do you really think the Bible's true? All of it? So we had a little theological discussion between ducks being shot. <laughs> Peter here says, you bet it's true. And the writings of Paul, the writings of Paul are, are scripture. Don't let these false teachers discourage you. Rather, remember, Jesus is coming back. And because he's coming back and going to lay the earth bare, our lives too will be laid bare. How do we want to be found by him? Without spot, spotless and blameless. Which is the challenge to us. What if I look at my own life and I say, well, this isn't really like Jesus. What should I do? 
last week and this whole week is deer season here in Iowa. And I first started hunting deer when I lived up in North Dakota. And I took about two or three deer a year when I lived in North Dakota. We joke with our sons that they never tasted beef until we moved to Iowa because we ate venison. It was a way to stretch out our food budget. And we stretched it out even more because I always cut up our own meat. I did all of my own butchering. Now, one thing I learned about my wife is that the meat that I take out of the freezer for her to prepare must not have any imperfections. You know, if I made her this succulent, half-pound venison burger with Maytag blue cheese on top, garden tomatoes, a succulent brioche bun, and then she found a deer hair in the meat. She doesn't like it for some reason. Go figure. So when I learned that, I took extra care in the preparation of my meat. When I had that whole deer hanging there out in the shed, I would take a blowtorch and I would go over that whole venison and make sure there wasn't even one hair left on that meat. If I saw any deformity or anything that was abnormal, I would take a knife and I would just cut it out. And what Peter's doing here, he's saying, you know what? Jesus is coming back. And just like this whole earth is going to be laid bare, so also our lives are going to be laid bare. How do we want to be found by Him? If there's anything in my life, if there's anything in your life that is not like Jesus, it needs to be cut out. It needs to be removed. Now, we're going to talk in just a moment. We can't do that in our own strength. It takes... God's enablement to help us cut out those areas of our life that are sin. It takes God's equipping us to actually live for Him in such a way that our life resembles Jesus' life. But it also takes a choice of the heart. It takes us to make a decision to do that. Remember last week we read 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, which says, And everyone who has his hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as he is pure. There is a human component to this Christian growth. We are to make choices to be set apart, men and women and boys and girls, for Jesus. When we see areas in our life that are not pleasing to the Lord, those need to be cut out and removed with his enablement. And his power. So what's the goal? How do we measure Christian growth? The goal is here. To be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Well, how am I at peace with God? Peter's already alluded to the writings of Paul. I'm going to as well in Romans chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. When it says in Romans 5, 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. You say 
at the moment we take the dependence of our life off of ourself, recognizing there's no way I can make things right with God. I'm a sinner. I can't fix that. And put our dependence solely on the person of Jesus Christ, trusting, believing that he is God, that he did die for me, that he did rise again proving that he's God, that his payment for sin was a sufficient payment for me. When I put my trust in him, when I transfer the dependence of my life from myself onto him, at that moment, our Heavenly Father declares us to be right with him. He declares us to be righteous. He makes us right with him. That's how I'm at peace with God. And when Jesus comes back, foremost, when my life is laid bare, when your life is laid bare, we want to be found at peace with God through faith in Jesus. And second of all, we want to be found like Jesus. Pure, spotless. Before him. Will we ever attain that? This side of the cross? Or excuse me, this side of heaven? No. John tells us if, hey, if I say that I don't have any sin in my life, I'm a liar. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 verse 23, we yearn till our adoption is finalized and we are finally in the presence of the Lord. That's when we will be totally pure. But Peter here says, even though we won't totally attain it till we are with the Lord, let's push forward. That's the goal. Now, how do we get there? Well, Peter tells us how in verses 17 and 18. He says in verse 17, okay, I've given you fair warning. You know there's these mockers, these false teachers that are going to try to misconstrue God's word. They're going to try to pull you away from Jesus. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, that bedrock faith you have in Jesus. But grow. Well, how do I do that? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You cannot grow apart from grace. I cannot grow apart from grace. In fact, unless we understand God's grace, we cannot grow in the Christian life. Now that's a strong statement. I'm going to say it again. Unless we understand grace, we cannot grow in the Christian life. You see, a lot of us in this room would say, yes, I know that I'm only saved by grace. God giving me a gift that I don't deserve. And I, I can't earn my salvation. We would affirm that here at Faith Bible Church. I can't earn my salvation. Jesus Christ had to die on the cross because I can't earn my salvation. But there's a problem. We affirm salvation by grace. 
But then we start thinking that we have to pursue Christian maturity on a performance-based relationship with God. In other words, sometimes we actually live out that I'm saved by grace, but I'm sanctified, I'm set apart, I walk in holiness by my own effort, by my works. And while we have said, yes, there's a human component, a choice that we continually have to make to cut out what we see in our life that's not right, we can't do that on our own. You see, we not only need salvation grace, but we desperately need enabling grace. We do not live out the Christian life based on a performance-based relationship with our Heavenly Father. All three of my sons, when they were in our home and in college, except one, were athletes. My oldest son ran track in high school. My middle son and my youngest son played basketball since they were little squirts all the way up through the end of college. One was a Division three athlete, one was a Division one athlete. And having gone through this whole process now, from beginning to end, I have a very much different perspective on it than I started with. And I have watched over many years the results of dads and moms and their sons and daughters in a performance-based relationship with their children. And it's grieved my heart to watch dads screaming at their sons because they did not perform the way their dad thought they should on the court. Ridiculing them. Belittling them. Shaming them for how they performed. And in some of those situations, as I've watched over the long haul, they've gotten their performance out of their kid. But you know what? It's one thing to get our performance. It's another thing to develop wholeness and well-being and a deep relationship. And that only comes in a grace-based relationship between a father and a mother and a child. I've often thought about my own parenting and my kids. And as any parent, if you're a parent in this room, my kids have done things that have disappointed me. But I can never think of one time... (laughs) Not once. When I, when I said to myself, I don't want to hear from that kid. He messed up. I don't want to even talk to him. I can never remember anything like that. As an earthly dad, I always want to welcome my sons into my presence. How much more our Heavenly Father? You see, so often we live out the Christian life and we say, oh, I just disappointed God. I I can't come to him in prayer now. He's too disappointed in me. He doesn't want me. 
Or I've, I've sinned and now I confess it and then I turn around and do the same thing again. God doesn't want, God doesn't want to talk with me. You know what that is? That's performance based relationship. That's not how God works. God's a God of grace. And we are saved by grace, by accepting that gift, by putting our trust in Jesus that we didn't deserve. But we live out the Christian life by grace. By depending on Him and asking Him to to help us live out the Christian life. When we see that area in our life that needs to be cut out because it's not pleasing to Jesus, we identify it. We make a decision of the heart. This needs to go. And then we come before our Heavenly Father and ask Him for Him, ask Him for His enablement. And we ask Him for the Spirit of God to help us in this area. And then we start walking depending on Him. And when we mess up, we confess it. First John 1 9. And He forgives us and we ask Him again. And He always welcomes us into His presence. That's how we live the Christian life. That's what Peter means here when he says, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Peter's already told us he's enabled us with everything we need. Remember 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3? Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Everything we need to live the Christian life, everything we need to walk in purity, spotless and blameless, we've been granted at the moment we put our faith in Jesus. The Spirit of God comes in and takes up residence in us. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 guarantees it. Ephesians 1 tells us the Spirit of God seals us. He's always our pledge. He'll never leave us. And the Spirit of God is there to equip you, to enable you, to empower you to actually live out a life that's pleasing to Jesus Christ. And we do it based on His grace, His enabling grace from a Father who loves you and me more than we could ever imagine, who always welcomes us into His presence. Who never says, oh, they sinned one too many times. I'm not, I don't want them in my presence anymore. No, that's not the kind of heavenly father we have. We have one who Peter here describes as one who deserves our praise, who deserves our glory, who enables us to actually be pleasing to him through the grace and knowing the person of Jesus Christ. You see, Peter, in these very last words, says this. Keep on growing. Keep on growing. Learn more about the grace of Jesus Christ. Learn more about who Jesus is. Keep on growing in the knowledge of Him. Keep on growing in His enabling grace. You know, we've talked about being right with God this morning. And you may be here, you may have sat in Faith Bible Church for 20 years and know in your heart that you are not right with God. I would encourage you today. Today's the day. Stop just mouthing words and actually take your life and put your dependence on the person of Jesus Christ. 
One of our leaders, one of our elders will be back in our prayer room after the service. And if you want to get things right with God or you have a friend that you want to help get right with God, we've got some material in the back. You can just go back and ask that elder that's back there, hey, can I have that material that talks about being right with God? And they'll give that to you. And you can take out a Bible and look up passages that encourage you on how you can know for sure you are right with him.